0: Welcome back or welcome to the Single Track Podcast. I'm your host, Finn Melanson, and in this episode, we are talking with Scott Dunlap, the VP of mobile at Adidas and the general manager of Runtastic, a subsidiary of Adidas where he is creating the future of the quote-unquote connected athlete. I wanted to have Scott on the show for many reasons. We talk about being an early voice in the ultra-running media, contributing to the blogging wave of the late 2000s and early 2010s, We talk about a few of his popular articles during that time, including his idea for the Strava GOAT program and whether endurance sports are a luxury good. We get into a philosophical discussion about the role that technology companies can play in promoting and facilitating more outdoor activity in the future. Uh, We talk about the application of Web3 technologies to the trail and ultra world and how athletes and creators stand to benefit and we conclude with some of Scott's thoughts on the state of our sport. Before we get started, this episode is brought to you by Gnarly Nutrition and Kodiak Cakes. Use code SINGLETRACK20 at checkout to get 20% off your next order of Gnarly products, and use code SINGLETRACK15 at checkout to get 15% off your next order of Kodiak products. With that, let's get started. Welcome, Scott. All right, Scott Dunlap, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the Single Track podcast. It's so fun to be here, Finn. Um, I really enjoyed the
1: podcast episodes you put together, and I was really flattered when you when you reached out. So yeah, this is going to be great.
0: The pleasure is all mine. Um, there's so much I want to cover today. You've had some really interesting takes on the intersection of trail running and philosophy, and sort of like the fate of our globe and our universe. And you've you've talked about Web three before, and uh, you are in a fascinating position at Adidas with Runtastic, but just in case there are listeners out there that aren't familiar with your background and and how you got into our world. Can you just talk about like your entrance into trail and ultra running and and what drew you to the sport and what made it such a focal point of your life? Yeah, my pleasure. Um, well, I guess I have to go way back. So I grew up as a, an Oregon
1: boy in Eugene, Oregon. And this was sort of in the time when, you know, Nike was coming up and, uh, and in general, if you know Eugene, Oregon, like everybody jogs, everybody runs. It's fantastic. I didn't do that much at the time, but I I would uh, be remiss not to acknowledge that that had a big part of me jumping into trail running later. Um, did some backpacking, love the outdoors. But it was really when um, I moved to California, Silicon Valley, in a town called Woodside, California, and my wife and I thought it'd be a great idea to buy this house that's in uh, a county park called Huddard county park and it literally is in the park uh, so you, there's a trail going across our side yard and i think it was week two i heard cheering and cowbells and i, I had no idea it was happening and right at the bottom of my driveway there was an aid station uh, and it was a uh, pacific uh, Coast Trail Runs putting on a 50K. And as I walked down with my coffee cup, I'm like, how far? Like, what are you doing? And of course, (laughs) at that point, it got in my head and I I was super interested. And I had these wonderful trails there. So I was like, why am I going to a gym? I really should just explore. Um, And then I'll I'll add to an interesting thing happened around September 11th, which was uh, I was uh, in a company where we had a lot of work associates that were in New York. And uh, I found myself as I was just beginning to go outside and train outside. um, Was in New York just a couple days before September 11th terrorist attacks happened. Um, And the way I found out was I'm on the trails and my phone's ringing and everybody's trying to figure out if I'm in the World Trade Center building. Um, And it was such a a life moment to be like, "What? Just by chance, I missed it." And a number of my colleagues, unfortunately, were were killed in that time. But I I spent a lot of time sort of walking the trails and running the trails with my dog, my dog Rocky, who is a pug. And I think a lot of the locals remember this. It's like, you shouldn't run with your pug, but I couldn't stop this pug from running on these trails. And I was a bit embarrassed that I couldn't keep up with the pug. Um, And the pug actually got me in shape over a couple of months. Uh, So I I, uh, wasn't working. And it turns out if you don't work and and all you do is run with your dog and take naps and enjoy yourselves in the, the forests of California, you get in shape pretty quickly and one day we stumbled upon another race that was in, proce- in process. All the people had numbers on, and they lured me in. They lured me into come try a short one to start, you know, 15k. Uh, we'll try 20k, and then of course from there, a uh, couple hundred, you know, marathons and ultra marathons later, uh, I-, I can't uh, figure out where I
0: end and the trail begins now. <laughs> That's an absolutely fascinating backstory and I, and I want to ask one question about, about the the 911 impression. Um, people talk a lot about near death experiences. They talk about coming face to face with mortality or or just realizing like the preciousness of life. Was that how formative has that moment been for you in terms of like your inspirations for continuing to participate in our sport and and just being like passionate about other life projects?
1: Yeah, I I would agree with your statement. And it's a matter of fact, one of the things I love about this community of trail running and ultra running in particular is um, you have a good excuse to talk to people and really get to know them in the deep questions that they ponder. And at first I thought I was quite unique in this near death, you know, life experience. Uh, But in reality, um, it's a pretty common thing uh, that uh, people have these things happen and, uh, and really use this as a foundation to Create just an authentic adventurous journey in their life, uh, which, which I think is great. so I did the same. I found a wonderful community of trail runners. Uh, I ended up jumping jumping right in uh, and I, I realized you know I couldn't finish a race less inspired than when I started. It was just inevitable hundred percent of the time you were going to end up grounded spiritually. Feeling better, feeling closer to your community, and I often talk about it, it's a, there's a strange love. There's no other way you can explain it that you share with people who go on an adventure with you like that. I just recently did the Berlin Marathon. It's the same thing. Like, why is it I can hug these strangers? Yeah. And I feel like going out and you know having a, a beer with them or lunch with them, and I feel more connected than I do to my own neighbors sometimes. Um, and it's just it's the value of that authentic shared experience. Um, that really helps you stay grounded and sort of know your place on the planet. And particularly in a day full of screens and distractions and, and, and media, it's important to tag up touch base.
0: I've made a note here to return to the theme of this authentic shared experience because I think uh, the work you're doing at Runtastic and this app strategy that Adidas has, there's a lot to be said about that there. Um, one, another interesting note about your backstory that interests me is you were an early voice in ultra running, like, but back when blogs were really the primary medium of communication in our sport, you were right there as like one of the, the top writers. And um, before we get into like the nuts and bolts of like what you were doing there, do you ever foresee a time when like the written word becomes prominent again in our sport and like athletes are, are using it on a regular basis and media people like myself resort to it? Or is that a bygone era?
1: Yeah, I think it plays a part. Um, you know, my start in blogging was uh, largely because I'm just a nerd. My day job is in technology, as, as I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, and my issue was that I was meeting all these great people at every race and they would all email me because they knew what my next race was. And they'd say, how was that race in Colorado, you know, California? Uh, wisconsin wherever it was and do you have any pictures and it turns out sending an email to hundreds of people with pictures attached is a horrible use of technology (laughs) um but the blogging and particularly the rss feed and this idea of subscribing to a page was was quite new at the time And, and it was a natural place just put a bunch of pictures so people could follow along what the what the adventure was i enjoyed um finding out the voice I had as a writer, Um, and in particular, uh, you know, it started off very much just sharing my own journey, but then it quickly became the people I met along the way. As I got faster, I could actually usually talk about those that were up front, at least the first half. I couldn't always pace with them the whole way. (laughs) Um, and so I could tell the story of the competitive part of the race too. And I found out that was the combination that, uh, most people loved, which is talk about the competition, talk about those in the middle of the pack, the race directors, and then add as many pictures as you possibly could. And then suddenly it was hundreds of thousands, millions, uh, of people. Um, but, um, but yeah, it really came from a very natural place. Um, and then now I find myself you know, probably listening to more podcasts than I do, reading the narrative. Um, And I'm reminded by the designers I work with every day, like people enjoy interpreting information in different ways. So sometimes it's the real physical, I need to, you know, see it. And sometimes it's the, the visuals that might come with some of the great video work that, you know, Billy Yang and Dylan and, Bowman and others are doing. And sometimes it's uh, it's a narrative so that you can imagine it in your head, but often it's the podcast, it's the friend that tags along. So I, I think there's space for all of it. Um and uh and I i love that we just live in this world where we have so many choices.
0: I was listening to this old, old URP episode. It must be eleven or twelve years old at this point. You were interviewed by Eric and And that whole crew there, Scotty Sandow, et cetera. And when you were talking about the blog, you mentioned that there was a point in time where maybe 20% of the readers were coming from these countries like the Philippines and and China at the time and Brazil and areas of the world where there wasn't really an established event scene. So it's kind of, this is more of a comment, but it's interesting to me that your blog had the effect of raising awareness in other parts of the world where Ultra Running wasn't. Just a mainstay yet, and to some extent, you're responsible for inciting interest there.
1: Yeah, well, I think so. Myself and many of the other bloggers at the time. I, one thing I really enjoyed about having so many people jump into blogging is we could compare notes and we could look at the traffic. Um, and uh, you know, I still read Ultra Running Magazine. I worship it. I read it, you know, end to end every time it shows up. You know, everything freezes in my house. I know this is how all of us do this. Um, so pay, you know, the paper and print, uh, has its place, uh, and some beautiful writing that's in there too. Um, but it doesn't have the reach like the internet does. Those are people searching. Like, how do I find out more information? What is this? When a lot of it really was, where did this picture come from? Like, what is this person doing? Yeah. They've got a number on, they're walking some mountain Ridge. Um, and we did have some occasions where, I'd have someone, I had a team uh, in India and they were like, we want to put on an ultra and we don't know what that means or how to do it. And I just rallied up some folks and said, all right, let's send them a starting line and a clock and you know, a little rule book and some shoes and some you know jerseys and some race numbers. And you know, they just went around in circles <laughs> for a while and they said, there's beautiful yeah. pictures coming back. Um, but they also said, it's fantastic. Everybody loved it. It was a wonderful experience. It's everything we hoped it would be. We're going to do another one. Uh, And I often would say, why do I put so much time into blogging at the time? And I would say it's for that. You know, it's about every third or fourth story, a comment that would come in like, all right, you got me. I'm going to try it. I now signed up for this race. All right, that's it. We're going to put on a race here. And I was like, all right, this is the natural proliferation of this community. Um, And if this is how it happens, that's great.
0: Uh, Well, it's super cool because, you know, I look at, blogs and how you're able to access them via Google, which is obviously the largest search engine in the world. And discoverability is relatively seamless in the podcasting space. For example, like you look at the search engines built inside of Apple and Spotify. It's pretty, it's still in my opinion, pretty unsophisticated at this point. It's pretty clunky. It's hard to find things you have to type in like the exact keywords. And, uh, so I guess that's more of a comment on like, if I want to have like impact and reach, uh, I'm I'm largely reliant on word of mouth and uh people like sharing episodes as opposed to um uh the, the powers of Google and Yahoo and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, well and it's at the time I very much acknowledged in the early days of blogging the the appetite for media about our sport is so huge when you when you become a trail runner or an ultra runner um you can't possibly read enough about it to start. And, and you want to know all the lore and you want to know all the people. And uh, we had a couple of magazines which were great. And we had, you know, I Run Far was just starting and the Ultra Runner podcast and a few others were just beginning, but it was not nearly enough to saturate the demand of just all the stories that, uh, that people wanted to mm. hear. So I came at a really good time. Whereas, you know, in the podcasting now that you have it, like it is truly a legitimate platform watching you know the Joe Rogans of the world like become media um gods <laughs> all all to themselves. And so it's it's a little bit tricky. And I would agree it's it's uh, it's still hard to search to find uh find the information. But I I know um you had asked me earlier offline about you know synchro blogs. Um yes a concept. Yes, we did in the blogging community, which was uh you know, four or five of us would get together and we'd all just blog about the same theme. But of course, naturally, we'd have five different perspectives on what that theme was. And it could be something as simple as like, what's your favorite aid station at the Western States 100 Endurance Run? And actually without even coordinating, we had four different ones and very unique stories about it. But that was also a way to, you know, for me to introduce, you know, Craig Thornley or Sarah Labner-Smith or others, you know, that we, we all knew each other really well, but we could share the voices with each other. Um, And I see a lot of that happening in the podcast. Sometimes I turn it on and I'm like, wait, is this, Lex Friedman <laughs> on Dax Shepard's podcast or vice versa. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, but it's helpful. It's helpful to blend those audiences that, uh, that, that have that deep passion and, and a fairly unsatiable appetite, uh, for content around their passions and sports.
0: I love that idea. And yeah, trying to apply it to podcasting. We, we do see the evidence of like, you know, other hosts coming on the other person's show to guest, but, um, I'm also thinking of a scenario where like in the same way you see all these different news outlets covering the news cycle in a relatively uh, standard way, you could like pick questions like, you know, what do you think about UTMB's increasing presence in our sport and their whole new stone system? And like, just like take those prompts, you know, Dylan, Corinne, Keeley, uh, Scott Coomer. And like, let's just, let's, let's see what uh, their perspectives are on, on each, Episodes. Ah, that's I think it's a super cool concept. Yeah. Oh, I listen to all um, of it. You'd fill a long run right there. Yeah,
1: <laughs> <That'd> be fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, th- there's a couple articles that you've written in the past that that I want to highlight um, as sort of an intro to your blog. And, and one of the ones that stood stood out to me about four years ago, you wrote about Strava and what they can do to rally sort of their most passionate customers and um, just have a greater impact in, in their arena and you, you call it the Strava goat program. So can you go into detail about what this is and uh, what the value proposition is here and what inspired it?
1: Yeah, well, it's, um, so on my blog, I had a whole column, I guess you could say it was like a, now a tag. It was just like products I'd like to see. And what was fascinating is a lot of times I thought I would be inventing something from scratch. And then generally someone would point out to me that product already exists and I'd be thrilled, um, and then sometimes there were a joke, like, you know, uh, Nginji has always been uh, a great sponsor of mine. And I was laughing about, you know, you could solve the chafing problem for male genitalia if you made a sock that had individual, you know, and I'd put it up and it as a joke, it would, it, it would, it would become very popular. But the truth was, it also talked about the value proposition of the Nginji socks, because they have the individual sleeves for each toe. So uh, I, I was looking for those And on Strava, um, uh, I'm a fan, of course, even though one could say I'm uh, at Adidas Runtastic, a bit of a competitor, but in truth, they've been a wonderful partner. Um, And uh, what I love about Strava is some of the... um, stats that you get that you really have to go digging for. So, I I'm, I'm less about trying to be king of the mountain uh and see how fast I can go up. But I would go into your profile fan and I would say, "Did you it's yeah, done 7,000 runs or something like that. Oh my gosh, do you know how many vertical feet that you've done?" And I realize gosh, it's one of the few platforms that could celebrate something like I've run a million vertical feet or I have gone on 10,000 runs. Um And uh, I know there's usually at the end of the year, I'm kind of looking like, did I get 400,000 vertical feet? (laughs) Um, I was like, could be a badge. But then I just sort of realized like Strava is very well known now, thanks to their partnerships uh, with uh, uh, Tour de France and many of the other things that they're doing. Um, But Back in the day, it was like get the word out about Strava was the most important thing. So why not have a Jersey? And the Jersey says, you know, I have won this goat award that says I have done a million vertical feet or cycled a million vertical feet. Cause you know, it would prompt the question. Uh, and it's what I love about marketing. It's like, you see those go by, maybe it's a sticker on the bike, maybe it's a Jersey, but you immediately want to know this person and find out about what the adventure is. Uh, and I was trying to convince Strava. I'm like, I don't even think you'd have to give them away. I'm pretty sure everybody would buy them. Uh, but They taught me that um, selling apparel to 100 plus countries in the world is not an easy thing to get into uh, at the time, Uh, but we'll see. Maybe maybe it'll come around again. In the meantime, I find myself building a very similar thing um, for the, the Adidas running app, which is, okay, how can we celebrate the fact that you've gone running 180 weeks in a row? And what might that look like? And is it a digital badge? Would you like it on a physical product? Um, We can put it on a physical product that you can even recycle for one that says 250 when you, you know, when you hit 250 weeks in a row. So lots of possibilities, but yeah, I love that idea of expressing your passion outwardly um, and then having those ridiculous numbers out there that are hard to contemplate, much like a hundred mile run, like a million vertical feet. Although you're probably thinking in your head, like, yeah, I probably hit that in the last three years. Uh, For a lot of people, that's crazy.
0: (laughs) Well, one of the reasons why it stuck out to me is, and I think you might've even said this verbatim in your blog, but there isn't a great way with Strava currently to recognize the craftspeople people, uh, that are using the platform that are like going out there every single day. They're really thinking about if they're a runner, for example, the routes that they're going to pick and how aesthetic they are and how much inspiration they're going to feed back to, uh, their followers and just stuff like that. And it's small things, but, um, I mean, I, I can think of five people off the top of my head that I look forward to following every single day on Strava and they serve as an inspiration for me. And uh, I'm sure that they get that positive feedback, but a part of me also thinks that that's not quite enough. And there's just so much more like this example here that the platform could do to uh, to just encourage their passionate customers more. Um, yeah. And I guess that's like, as you've said before, the central question of any of any brand out there, how do you rally like your most important customers to just be like the biggest advocates and even larger power users. But, um, this just makes total sense to me.
1: Yeah, no, I completely agree. It's, um, when you have a curated feed, um, of the folks that you, that, uh, you admire and aspire to be. And one of the great things about our sport is you've probably met them. You've probably been on a starting line with them, so it can be quite personal, but, I agree. It's pure artistry. I mean, some of it I watch and I look at the routes and how they're taking it and what they've accomplished in a day or a day and a night in a day. And uh, it's uh, I, it really lights the fire for me personally to just push a little harder and go a little farther. And um, yeah, so it's it's a big part of it. I know at Adidas, we always say if you enable the creator, you probably can't go wrong. Like find a way for someone to express themselves and their inner artistry. And uh, I would credit um, Strava for being one of the first to say, like, I'm going to put it in a social feed in a way that, you know, you see my art first, you know, sort of see the title and you see the map. Uh, and the text is optional because it might actually just stand all by yeah. itself. Uh, a good long run with a little attached weather and a couple of pictures like Uh, Those are the ones I really love. It just says morning run. And you're like, that was a morning run. That was an epic adventure. And you just said morning, I'm like, oh, that's nothing. That's just a Tuesday. (laughs) It's so much fun.
0: I think this has been accelerated by COVID. But one of the biggest things I've seen in my own personal backyard, which is the Wasatch Mountains here in Salt Lake City, I've seen an increasing number of people I follow and athletes, they're pulled away from the formal event scene to basically be creators of these epic routes like around Snowbird and Alta and Brighton. And uh, they just like create these routes and they invest in these personal projects. And it's partly an homage to the FKTC as well. But um, there's something, there's a, there's a level of permission that this platform gives uh, these athletes to just truly be like route designers and artists in that sense. And uh, I think it's a very interesting development. But you mentioned... Yeah. Adidas there and Runtastic. And this is a whole nother area I wanted to talk about because you've had this absolutely fascinating parallel career in, in, in Silicon Valley and with these larger global brands, in addition to uh, your blog and just being an avid runner. Um, So can you talk about first how that, how that career developed and, uh, and how it ultimately like to this point in time has merged almost perfectly with, with your, with your run life?
1: Yeah, that was, that was a a late development, but, um, yeah, I originally started as, uh, um, believe it or not, I studied music as an undergrad, um, and uh, what i quickly found out writing music composition maybe i could put a soundtrack together for your your podcast i probably still have the skills um <laughs> uh, i was uh not quite as creative talented as some of my fellow composers who, who i swear would sit down the night before and just write it out like you know, a complete symphony piece i had no idea how they were doing it so i was using these computers sort of early stage intel 386 computers so that i could Iterate on the sound. Is it an oboe? Is it a saxophone? Is it a string? Is it a, yeah, which I, I didn't realize is, you know, was the beginning of kind of, you know, what we now know as a modern day MIDI style, um, production, uh, music production. Um, I, I just looked at ways I could probably get a B minus and just float in my, my music composition classes. When graduation day came, uh, not a lot of people looking at my music, but a whole lot of people looking at my code and saying, how did you do this? And how did you connect these two systems? And are you, I was like, well, I got this code from this person in Florida whom I've ever met. And that idea of open source computing, how'd you do that? I was like, well, it's over this thing called the internet. And, uh, this was sort of, you know, prior to websites becoming a big thing. And that ended up pulling me in that career. Like maybe you could help us, uh understand this space and what is the business potential of this internet thing and the Hmm. idea of connected computing and um, and I am a nerd at heart I just love it I love tinkering I love working on all of it and and imagining how it might uh, how it might develop but of course I had no idea it was going to be as big as it did so it started in Oregon Uh, I came down to Silicon Valley I ended up there 22 years you know nine different startups and working with Google and Apple when they were uh, at least Google, you know, was, I think it's 40 people when I first stopped by their office and then, you know, now they're <laughs> in the um, And this is where I met, you know, the founders of Strava and others and just such a fun place to be as, as technology was coming together. And I tried a number of different things, uh, but it was really helping uh, the Apple team and visualize the first uh, iPhone and how apps might work um, became probably one of the bigger anchors in my career. Um, and so I've developed a ton of apps. Hadn't thought about, you know, formally turning that into, should I get into, uh, you know, join Strava or join some other team or do a startup that's in sports? Um, Sports was always, uh, and trail running was always my escape from the crazy nerdy world of tech. Um, But I had this unique opportunity uh, pop up about four years ago um, where um, I was trying to convince some of the bigger brands, particularly one in Oregon, um, that we might be at a point where you could connect 1 billion athletes. Like if you could connect 1 billion athletes and have us all run for a cause, we could save a forest. We could save an ocean. We could, we could probably, you know, buy 400 acres of land and, and, and turn it over to conservatorship. We could feed a country. We could start a school. Like I just can see like the power of a collective community like this, um, and everyone's sort of chipping in uh, a dollar, um, you really could become a massive socio-political force. Um, and of course, the answer was, does it sell more shoes? And I'm like, I might be at the wrong company. <laughs> but then I got a call from uh, from Adidas, and they said, you know, we bought this company, Runtastic, in 2015, and they do sport apps, running training, um, That's type of a thing. We, as a brand, really believe in sustainability, and we're going to push the threshold here we heard about this concept. Do you think you could do it? Could you bring a billion connected athletes together? And, uh, cause we're in, and I'm like, wow, that sounds fantastic. You know, I've never tried to combine my passion and my career of technology so aggressively. And they said, yeah, it's great. Just one catch, you gotta move to Austria cause that's where the team is. <laughs> but luckily my, uh, my family was like, that sounds amazing. There's Alps and there's, you know, there's lots to do and we could travel in Europe. Uh, so so yeah. So about four years ago, we moved out. I became the, uh, the CEO of uh, what we call Adidas Runtastic. It's about 270 employees uh, in Vienna. And then soon afterwards, uh, the Adidas team also handed me the commerce apps, you know, so Adidas and flagship app, and uh, confirmed as well as some of the innovation teams to just be thinking about not only the future of sport and digital sport, but the future of of commerce and how we build relationships with those who love our brand. Um, So yeah, it's been, it's been very exciting.
0: Just so that listeners can visualize the app in case they're not familiar. Can you talk about like what the value proposition is on a day-to-day basis for somebody that's on their phone logging in and is using it, like what the use cases are?
1: Yeah, because it's it's a good history lesson. Because I know you uh, interviewed Robin Thurston earlier, who uh, created Map My Run. It was actually one of the original uh, GPS tracking apps. Um, I think Strava was right in there, Endomondo, uh, and RunTastic was actually the biggest one in Europe at the time. And uh, and for years they went on, um, you know, being the app around sports, and that was kind of a big breakthrough for mobile at the time. First, just to have the app, but it was such a nice um, natural fit for the mobile phone. You had GPS, you had a screen, you had a lot of cool things that you could you could use to connect. Um, so at its fundamentals, um, it is similar in the sense that you can you know do a training plan, you can track your activities, you can share those with other people. Um, a couple places where it's different is definitely pushed on the you know can we all join together and create a global event. Um, probably the biggest one we're known for is called Run for the Oceans. Which uh, we grew from, you know, being thirty, forty thousand people to last year we had with, you know, Strava and a few other partners joining us, um, almost seven million people joined. It was by far the biggest athletic event ever recorded. It's the biggest environmental movement that's ever happened. Um, but I think we're wow. going to double it again. Uh, yeah. So it's just that same idea of like, if you can rally these folks, and it was because um, with the support of Adidas, we could put a mechanic in that says for every 10 minutes that you run, we promise to go to a beach and clean up, you know, 10 plastic bottles. Um, and we'll make that commitment and everybody just go crazy. And then I think the bill came and it was like, 500,000 tons of plastic we needed to clean up. And we're like, absolutely, this is great. Like, why wouldn't this be great? Um, and it helped us talk about, you know, how we often take that plastic and turn it into a recyclable material that we can use, um, which which feeds the brand. So this idea that you can be a part of these large communities, that's that's one very unique uh, part of the Adidas running experience. Um, and I would say the other one, which is quite new for the U.S. and the U.K., um, is Uh, you get membership points. So you can run and earn your way into a free pair of shoes. You can earn your way into a discount. Um, And what I love about how Adidas is, uh, is doing this is, you might get a free race entry. Um, There's a certain line of products that we have that you can't buy. You can only get them through points. You know, maybe you want to outfit a kid's uh, soccer team or football team. You can apply your points to that. Or if we're going to do another run for the oceans like thing, would you like that to be ocean cleanup? Would you like your points applied to research? Would you like your points applied to, you know, the great garbage cleanup, whatever it might be. And so, it's points um, that are not only rewarding, but it also allows you to I- express yourself um, yeah. within the brand in a pretty unique way.
0: With, with the caveat that I am undoubtedly a net optimist about the future of our humanity and the planet, um, you mentioned that one of the awesome opportunities with Runtastic is it's this mass mobilizer of people for great causes. Like you just had essentially the largest athletic event ever. Amazing. The largest environmental movement activity ever. Awesome. But my mind just went back to like 2016 and how social media has been able to play a pretty pivotal, some would say manipulative role in like our politics and our, in our economics, etc. Do you ever worry being at the hands of this app that it could somehow, uh, be, uh, taken over and used for, um, lesser noble ends. Yeah. Well, that's,
1: it's sort of the trick on technology is it's almost like magic and it all depends on whose hands you put it in. (laughs) And so we do spend a lot of time sort of looking at it. I would say, you know, our near-term concerns are, do we get people a little too excited and get them, you know, injured right out of the gate, you know, probably. um, Those would be more that we're worried about. Yeah. And the rest, there's definitely a lot of ideas we end up saying no to, um, to be honest. And we don't talk much about those, but it just comes down to like, well, can we really control this in the grand scheme of things? Can we ensure that this is going to be net positive for the world? And if the answer is no, uh, then we have to step away. But of course the trick with technology is that doesn't mean everybody in the industry thinks the same way. Sometimes the need for growth, the need to survive uh, might have them steer a story a little differently or have them build, build something that has you doing a bit too much screen time when you maybe should be outside. So we spend a lot of time thinking yeah. about that balance and, and then testing. That's the other part too, is we have tens of, millions of, of uh, of athletes on our platform, which gives us the chance to take a look and say, all right, before we commit this, it's something big. Let's get a small audience of folks where we can talk to them about what we're trying to do and see if it's actually working as a motivation. Is it feel, you know, long-term, uh, that this is going to help you get there. And, uh, and if it doesn't, then we back off. So it's nice to be able to have that.
0: Well, I asked Robin, uh, during that outside episode, what inning he thought we were in, in this connected fitness movement. And I think for a long time, correct me if I'm wrong, it was about just getting reliable training data organized. It was about adding a little bit of motivation to the lifestyle. And and now you're painting the present day as like these opportunities to connect these apps with like all of the things we love about gaming and community and the environment. And um, I, I guess I'm, I'm curious, like, how essential are those going to be? Because you look at game, like you mentioned Fortnite earlier, you mentioned uh, eSports, like there's all of these other uh, competing interests, especially for younger generations. Like, are, are those new factors in apps like Runtastic going to be absolutely essential if we're going to keep uh, future generations like prioritizing the outdoors? Yeah, that's a, it's a good question. It's definitely a battle. There's no doubt about it. It's it's a battle
1: for the time uh that that people have. And um, you know, in the end for us, it's about can we lead you on a positive uh journey of fitness? That that's really what we're in it for, because it's the Adidas mission is through sport we have the power to change lives and so just be be positive about it. Um but what we are facing is um a rather large shift, um, which got accelerated by COVID, by the way, of how people are introduced to sport um and how does it fit into their lives from that point on because i think maybe yourself but definitely myself i you know i grew up with uh, you know, in school you learn about sports and that's where you learn about teamwork and and things like that and that more traditional description of sports is how most of us would get into it uh, but yeah. you understand what it means to train and what it means to you know be on a team it's a lot of fun that is dropping off considerably um And actually, I watch my own kids, which I know Robin was talking about this too. My my daughters are 16 and 12. And, you know, they're usually online because that's how they reach their friends. Even the friends that are across town here in Vienna, they're just constantly kind of connected and looking at things together. Um, So it's it's difficult because the screen is just so much easier uh, to connect to. But at the same time. I I will listen to them and they'll say, all right, we've had enough of this game or this environment. Like, let's go do something real, like let's meet, you know, and it ends up being the same stuff. Let's just, you know, walk the mall, let's go meet for coffee, let's do whatever. And you could see them just relax more, you know, kind of, and I know they're resetting those dopamine levels, but you know, what's odd to me. And I think was also behind a lot of the growth that's in our sport is the more we find ourselves in screens the more we yearn for a truly authentic real yeah. experience that can reset our dopamine levels. Cause it's like, we all know this. If you get on the trail for a few hours, like it's a bit of a shock to pick up your phone again. Sometimes you're like, Whoa, it's just too much. What you didn't realize was, well, when you stared at it for hours beforehand, it was using its own algorithms to give you as much visual stimulation as you need to, you know, peek out your dopamine. But the only way to reset that is to just put it down and get outside and, and change your, change your perspective. So when I see the growth in the sport that's happening, I just look at that and go, I bet that's, it's actually technology that's helping drive that believe it or not. Um, but yeah, so it it does put me in a weird spot where I have to think about, um, okay, well then the gamification in a digital app might actually be the key to get a lot of kids who don't see sports in a traditional way, like in a school on the team, to think about running outside so i'd find myself in conversations with uh, epic games or or other platforms saying well how about to level up on this level they have to run around the block twice you know or how about you know just up to the top of a mountain in order to in a very pokemon style pick up the thing that's going to play out in the game or you know maybe we unlock things in our apps that only happen when you've you know exercised 3 times that week and I'm finding a very receptive audience uh, in all of these partners to say, yeah, this would be great Like, because we, we need to keep it at a balance. Uh, otherwise, uh, we end up just turning all the knobs up to the point that it becomes a, a fairly unhealthy, addictive behavior. So, so yeah, we'll see. There's lots to do. There's no doubt about it. Uh, and it's much easier if you, if you don't take the bigger picture. It's much easier to just build something that's uniquely addictive. <laughs> but uh, for long-term growth I, uh, for all, it's, it's got to balance
0: i want to talk a little bit more about these gamification trends in a second but you had another excellent blog post about endurance activities and ultra running being increasing the these quote-unquote luxury goods and that and as the years have gone on in this tech era that we're in really only the wealthiest people uh have the privilege of turning off their phones, stepping away from their computer screens, their TVs, et cetera, to just, like, enjoy default life. And I'm wondering where in the Runtastic app and and where in the programs that you're working on uh, your tools can actually uh, facilitate more, like, in-person, face-to-face interaction for the masses. Like, I know that gamification is going to be this huge tool to just get people outdoors, but then where does like the human interaction come in?
1: Yeah. Well, and, and this is the, the fun part of the adventure. When I spoke about the, the luxury goods, I was really talking about um, these sort of mass participation events. You know, some of my favorites like the Boston Marathon or, or even many of the trail events. It just turns out by the time you get the hotel and you make it your way to the start line and you've got all your friends that you need for crew and you pack all of your like, like or not, like it's a, it turns out to be pretty expensive. And don't even get me started on if you do an Ironman, like then you need the bike and you need all the you know, swim gear and the places to practice for all of that. Um, so in in many ways, uh, these organized events that you do with the mass start with other people quickly become uh, very expensive. But as we found out in COVID, um, it turns out there are other ways that you can connect people. Um, and although it's not an exact replacement, um, you can do it with virtual races. So. We were a bit surprised to see, you know, well, Boston Marathon during COVID, we couldn't get started. You know, let's do a virtual Boston Marathon. And then it ends up becoming far more popular. Uh, And then when the Boston Marathon physical race came back, they kept the virtual race. Well, why? Because it's a lot cheaper. (laughs) Like you can be a part of the event in a certain way. You can connect to the community through these races, practice races, training plans. You might even find a local community to be a part of. And it's just something that was so expensive when you when you force the physical part of the, um, of the participation, I think it opened up some some whole new places, but we also realized that that you know that community connection that physical connection is, is a big part of it, which is why Adidas also has Adidas Runners. You know, there's these communities in 60 plus cities around the world, and it doesn't cost anything. Uh, you can come for free, you can get free training, you can, um, you know, get a bus ride out to some trail somewhere uh, and, and meet some other people. And then as we love to do is if you're in the virtual event or you're in Adidas running, there's always a chance that you get a full ticket, you know, ride to the Berlin Marathon or to, you know, one of our infinite trails races. Uh, and then there's no better community there because then you see like 10 percent of these people probably wouldn't have ever considered this. And then and now they get a chance to run in the Alps.
0: Kind of moving out from Runtastic for a second, when you're surveying other tech companies in the scene that are active in this space or even just on the periphery, um, what are some other important players in this scene that are contributing to, I'll I'll say, like fighting the good fight and trying to create a world where uh, we're evolving uh, sports and outdoor activity alongside sort of the, the new trends of future generations?
1: Yeah, I think it's um, there's certainly a lot, um, and what I love about um, technology, um, particularly in Silicon Valley, is that it tends to default towards creating a higher quality of life in its intent um, and lengthening life. And so, you know, I get a chance to see a lot of new technologies years before they come out, uh, and I could see, you know, like the the Apple Watch is probably one of been one of the more fascinating ones for me to watch from end to end because. You, you're like, what are people going to do with this sensor or that sensor? But it turns out, you know, just by having a watch that's fairly easy to use, that tells you to get up, you know, every hour, don't forget, If it's sitting in a seat for an hour, close those rings, you know, whatever the, the gamification might be, but also some really fascinating health information that normally you'd have to go into a doctor's office to track. Now you have this longevity that you can look at and it can help you really point at are you getting good sleep? What are some things you could do to get better sleep? Um, and you know, I've mentioned, I love to connect a billion connected athletes. What I didn't tell you is I'm still about 280 million short. Like I've, if I look at it and I say, you know, I've got a number of connected athletes. I've got a number of athletes who aren't yet connected, which is fine. That's great. But I also, I need about 280 million individuals who don't who have a fairly sedentary lifestyle right now to choose to be fit in order for me to get to that connected athlete. And I look at gamers as a lot of them, they're already connected. I just need to make them an athlete. And I look at devices like the Apple watch and I go, this is really getting a lot of people into trying their first workouts, you know, safely at home. Um, and I know our Adidas apps do that too. We have a lot of brand people who are like, I don't even know where to start. And I'm like, this is great. I don't know how we got you to download the apps, but, uh, it's a good place. Um, and, and we need that to happen. And, you know, Apple is so well-funded, you know, it is the most valuable company in the world. They can look at, we'll take the time to get it right. Well, Let's plot out the next 20 years. Um, and then is it a watch or is it glasses or is it, you know, let's let's try all of these things and see which one might be the breakthrough that, that helps people lead healthier lives. So yeah, that one, and you know, I track on four, five or six others. Uh, I know I had in the past, uh, some grand hopes for things like drones and other things. And then in the end, they're just yeah. too loud.
0: <laughs> like they're fun on race. Drones day crewing athletes. Yeah. <laughs> and I've done that
1: before. And I, I've also been the guy who like throws the drone out to get a, you know, flyover <laughs> picture and just have everybody look at me. And I'm like, okay, that's not going to work. <laughs> so, oh. But, uh, but I also, I see, you know, some of that technology that's in the drones that allows them to, you know, self navigate through a forest and it's the same things I'm seeing on the cars. And I'm like, you know what, I, this, I could actually just have a car come pick me up on the trailhead. I could run point to point like that's in our future in the next two or three years. Um, maybe you don't need a crew. Maybe you just have a car pull up from aid station to aid station and you walk up to it and, and get your stuff. Um, I, I think we're all going to be surprised that it's not that far out. That's probably two, three years out. Um, and uh, that certainly would be convenient, wouldn't
0: it? <laughs> Uh, You mentioned the one, the 1 billion connected athlete goal earlier, and this is a little bit of a philosophical question. It's, it's super hard to forecast. I know, but I would imagine that, um, as the, as the entire world becomes like a potentially running dominant culture, like there's this global running culture. Do you foresee any like major societal shifts in consciousness or our physical world looking differently because, just more people have committed to like the lifestyle that you and I and the listeners of this show love and do on a daily basis. Well,
1: yes. Um, and I think it's one of the reasons I'm, I'm driving my teams to do it and all of us are working together on it is it's you and I know this. And particularly if you have friends who you know haven't been in the sport and then they come into the sport, um, First, you calm down considerably, (laughs) which is fantastic when you're kind of out there (laughs) at your own pace instead of having media being screamed at you at every angle. um, It's a lot easier to be more peaceful and thoughtful, not only about the environment that you're in, but the community that you share that space with. And probably most importantly, just yourself. You just become much more aware of yourself, much more comfortable with yourself. Um, and then if you can have those long periods of undistracted time there, um, I think you just become a better citizen of the world. Um, I can also run through, you know, 20 other health benefits in general. It's just very good for, you know, uh, lots of things, anti-immune. Um, I'm a big fan of forest bathing, this whole concept of, uh, you know, as long as you spend yes. your time with some old trees, you get a nice little boost in your anti-immune system. And, uh, and, you know, I guess one could say I'm introducing meditative practices as well. I'm not really saying go out and find a spot and close your hands and, you know, and hum. Um, but what I am saying is take the space to yourself, be bored, you know, like just feel the rhythm, you know, watch the sun start to set a little bit more. Um, it's a form of moving meditation. Um, but I, I think it just helps center people and and feel a bit more connected. Uh, and it's one of the few things out there that does, uh, to be honest, and doesn't have a lot of uh trade-offs uh and downsides to it um i think robin said it beautifully it's like if i just get them outside we're winning you can walk you can hike you can sit there if you wanted to but it's like that that's the goal the goal is make that a practice long enough that you can feel the spiritual physical mental and social rewards from it because once you do it's really hard to turn around and go back to the old lifestyle
0: I love thinking on utopian terms, and um longtime listeners of the show are probably gonna yawn here because I reference this book all the time. But there's a book called Ecotopia, and it was written back in like the mid-1970s, and uh it's all about how the entire West Coast of the United States secedes from the Union to live out like the perfect, most pure ideals of environmentalism. So like they like banish cars and like there's no more flights over the over the nation and um fuel sources change, etc. And I've always wondered, like, especially as, you know, the internet has made us more interconnected. Is there a way to create a, a similar running type nation type country where we're all kind of communing and organizing on like a cultural, economic, political level around, uh, around like our sport. And uh, I know that that's super utopian, but, um, we've <laughs> thrown that out there on the pod before. <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's, and I, I love um, thinking
1: in those terms because, uh, you know, I, I, seen a lot of technology waves come and go. And often it's that thinking that empowers something like, I'm sure you know, the latest one is blockchain and web three. It's sort of like actually the right people thinking in the right way to say, let me just use this as a way to change the rules of the game. Um, you know, does it solve everything overnight? No, it absolutely doesn't. But you know, I, I, I'm part of the, uh, some web three organizations you know DAOs as they call them where i'm watching them say you know let's just go buy 400 acres of a brazilian forest and and use the money that we make as people just being excited in this community buying the nfts and trading the nfts to hire all the biologists needed and all the security needed to defend it and we'll just report back and the the reward of the nft is if we find a new flower or a new bug that's never existed it happens to be in the acre that you quote own you know (laughs) you get an extra nft that you can trade but i i just look at it and i go okay i've never heard of this concept before this technology's enabled it but how wonderful that people can take pride in owning a part of a rainforest that they may never see but feel like they're part of it and feel like they're part of it being discovered and, and the truth is they're funding it. They're funding it in a way that we've just never thought possible. And then I watch it sprout up in six weeks and it's done like it's, it's actually working. So it's, I like that. You know, I, I think technology has utopian power, like when, when you put it together and, and this one blockchain in particular is, seems to pull a lot of middlemen out, which I think inevitably yes. uh, helps the, the right communities bond together. Um, but yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll see. I, I find myself also enjoying a bit of the grind in in, in the old world, you know. So Adidas is a seven year old company, um, and they once they took a look at sustainability practice, they got very serious about it, which I, I thought was great. Um, but they're constantly pushing me to say, like, you know, why can't we have a shoe that's made to be remade? You know, like use the components to know that it's going to be returned through the app so that we can grind it up and make a whole new shoe, you know, and make it 99.9% of those materials are reused again. Like, what is that? Is that a subscription model or is that just a service that we have? And cause we can make the products if you can make the experience work. And I, I, I love being a part of a company that's trying to undo some of the things that they've done, uh, in order to just make a better planet as well. Cause in order to get to ecotopia, we need all of the above. So.
0: <laughs> it's, it's fun. Um, Okay, you mentioned a couple terms there. You said Web3, you said blockchain, you said NFTs, and I have a lot of very smart friends who when we start to have this conversation, they're either confused, they're skeptical, or they're openly hostile towards these ideas. So I'm wondering if like before we dive into like a further discussion about this, could you define those like define those concepts in lay terms and maybe even uh, define them in a way that like makes sense to what we're trying to do in the trail and ultra running community. Oh, that'd be that'd be hard to do, but I could take a take a shot at it. Um, <laughs> as a nerd,
1: what I enjoy we'll start it with about, like, like Web three. Yeah, well, I mean, I'll start with blockchain and sort of the core component of it. Um, as a as a technology nerd, what I love about it is you know most people know databases as a thing that some corporation owns and it kind of collects and holds your information. What the blockchain is, is it's highly distributed um, code in a way that um, it holds all of this information in a way that's actually pretty secure um, if you know what you're doing Um, and in a way that it's no one corporation can really shut it off. Uh, So it, it has this ability to kind of live in perpetuity. And that's because all the transactions are committed in blocks on the chain. That's why it's called the blockchain. And uh, it's a fairly new technology in the sense that it's uh, only in the last 20 years that it's really come about. It was the basis for cryptocurrency. It was the basis for um, this uh, extension of that, which is called the non-fungible token. So they're both tokens. Cryptocurrency is just a token. Um, um, The non-fungible token, the NFT, is a way to and to create an asset that can't be duplicated is probably the best way to say it. So, if you have an entry to the Western States One Hundred, um, if that's as an NFT, and I'm like, I'm not going to make it. I'm injured. I'm going to send it to Finn. I could just send it to you and we don't have to worry about somebody's going to go out there and make a hundred copies of it, you know, and try to. And uh, and that's quite unique in the digital world because most of it, as you know, you know everybody just copies everybody. And just uh, matter of fact, I, some of my blog popularity was largely people in foreign countries stealing all of the photos from an article and just rewriting it in a different language. But I, I looked at that and said, hey, if it gets more trail runners, that's awesome. But in the world of NFTs, a digital item can be truly unique. So, you know, that could be um, yeah, access to a race, uh, which is which would be great. Um, it could also be, you know, a badge or reward or something like that. Um, a very popular one right now is the, the intersection of gaming and NFTs um, that allow you to, you know, if you're good at a game and you end up leveling up, you could sell off a character, you know, you find a certain treasure, you could sort of sell that off. So it creates an open market for a lot of these capabilities. Um, and uh, I've been tracking on in the running space, this concept of move to earn. And it's yeah. this idea of, yeah, I have a game and I buy an NFT shoe. I'm earning this cryptocurrency. I'm playing the game. I'm leveling it up. I could sell that shoe off later. Um, it's, it's an interesting twist. It is as much gaming as it is moving. Um, but if it's getting gamers to move, I, you know, I'm, I'm generally quite bullish on the concept. Um, but I've seen some pretty wild swings in those marketplaces. There's been the, times when people feel like they're going to retire off of what they're making. And then (laughs) there's been times where people feel like, wait a minute, I'm only making a fraction of a penny a day. How could this possibly be be worthwhile? But what I do love about it is um, in every community of these move to earn games I've been in, a majority of the audience are gamers who had no intention of exercising (laughs) and they find themselves exercising an hour a day. And so it's fun to read the comments. They're like, I'm sleeping better. You know, I just have a general <laughs> or positive outlook. My pants don't fit the same anymore. Is anybody else feeling this? I'm like, you're walking. It's fantastic. Like you've actually made a fundamental change in your lifestyle because of this game. And so so I know it's powerful. For those of us who just get satisfaction uh, out of just being outside and running, hiking already, that's, it's probably incremental. If you like games, you know, it, it could be fun. Um, but as a overall technology platform, uh, this ability to have a smart contract that's what's in the nft to like capture a transaction to have digital ownership um, to exchange that ownership or sell that ownership or level up and then sell it um it's pretty unique and so i think we're in the early innings of seeing what it could do
0: yeah like the, the in the with the nft stuff like i've seen like jokes out there on the internet where like someone just like photocopied an image and like hey isn't this what an NFT is? Like I just I just hit, hit like like I took a screenshot and like I I have what that person has like that piece of digital art. So what's like the rebuttal there?
1: Yeah, that's the right-click save as. <laughs> we <laughs> often say in the web three world is like, which is true, like you're making a digital copy of it, but does that give you access to the community of people who you also hold that NFT Are any rewards that are given to you as an NFT made to know, you? you know, so uh, the, the truth is, yeah, you don't get it hundred percent because of the digital image. It really has a lot to do with the ongoing rewards that might come from it, the yeah. community that you might be a part of. And we're playing a lot with this at, at Adidas, for example, we, we put out an NFT, um, with the board apes, you know, and the board apes are an interesting community. Um, people always look at it and go, I'm not sure if I get it hundred percent, but if you go in and meet who are the board ape holders, it's everyone. It's like Snoop Dogg and Eminem and like all of these creatives. And to hear about how they think about what this community could be is incredibly powerful. So we got Indigo, our board ape, and we put a track suit on them, uh, And then a whole community got together of people who love the idea of NFTs and really love the Adidas brand. And uh, we kind of surprise and delight them throughout the way, like help us collaborate on the next new product. Here's a unique piece of physical apparel that we're going to ship to you because you're a part of this community. What do you think Indigo should do next? Um, And so I I like to think about it as um, we have this unique digital way to have an adventure with this fun community. Um, and, uh, they get physical and digital rewards through the whole process, but it's new, it's completely undefined. So however we write the story with that community, it's, it's really just up to us.
0: I like your example of the Western States ticket. And it reminds me, Robin from outside was telling me a story about, or he was just providing like a, like a hypothetical, like you could go to their premiere of the Warren Miller film festival and the ticket would be an NFT. And that ticket could then potentially, track the number of subsequent days you spend skiing. And based on the the level of activity that that ticket is tracking, uh, you might get like discounts on future outside products, or you're entered into like a sweepstakes to join their editors at like, like the Banff ski festival or something like that. And so that's very interesting to me that um, like the ticket ends up having even more future use cases that depend on your lifestyle after the fact and maybe something similar could be baked into like signing up for a race like Western States and ultra signup. Yeah. Did I get yeah, that kind of right? No, that's absolutely right. Cause it's, um, I think what most people miss
1: around the concept of the NFT is it is as much membership to a community, uh, of people and and you can you know you can exchange it you buy your way in to be a part of it um but it's an expression and and you're kind of as long as you hold that nft you're kind of forever connected to that community Uh, so um that has as robin said plenty of other examples but i like to think about it as well to be like you know adidas you know if you're a nft holder you should have a very different experience when you go to see a football game right we should just know we should just know you're have one of these holders that's similarly to the membership. Like, if you are one of our top members, we should we should just know. And membership should have its privileges. Um, what I do know is that you know, an NFT holder for you know a Warren Miller ski film that actually speaks a lot about what that person's interest might be. And you are right; within the token, we can actually track a lot deeper information about uh, how they express themselves in that sport. And so, yeah, it's it's a really neat, secure way to sort of carry around an identity. Uh, and I, I think it has a lot of potential.
0: I saw on LinkedIn that you are a strategic advisor for a company called Stepin. And I know that we talked very briefly a moment ago about this concept of move to earn. I think this would be an interesting topic to discuss for the audience because this seems like a company that's up and coming. They're gaining traction. You mentioned that they're bringing in gamers that didn't really have a history of exercising into the fitness space. So can you talk about what Stepin is doing? And uh, I think maybe spend a little bit more time too talking about like how users of the tool, um, like create value and then earn that value themselves. I'm very, I'm a little bit confused there.
1: Yeah, no, I'm I'm happy to share. So I should back up a bit and say, well, how did I start looking for a move to earn web three projects to begin with? Um, because I think it's helpful and it also shows what a total nerd I am uh, and uh, you can see the basis from it. So I think when I was looking at Adidas running the app and I was looking at Strava and I do what a lot of people do when a new technology wave comes along is like, how could I wreck it? <laughs> if I had eight smart engineers and a couple of good, you know, MBAs and some good content experts in the area of running, like, could I create an experience so intriguing and so new that it would, you know, make Strava feel like web two, you know, it's just like, that's so yesterday. Um, And then it dawned on me, you probably could, I don't know if it would work, but if you actually were in a position where you could earn by moving, uh, and even if that you're just earning a currency that you play within the game, that could be a very interesting and addictive game. Um, And uh, I started to get concerned. I'm like, wait a minute. I don't want to be put out of business. (laughs) So maybe I should be looking at these. And I tracked down 11 different projects that were calling themselves move to earn. And they were all on the spectrum of, you know, just, you know, like sweat coins, probably the original one, which was just like, all you do is move and you get this coin. And we have a little marketplace where you can spend that coin uh and i'm like okay that is literally all you have to do is move (laughs) and then there were other ones that were much more on the gaming side which uh example i'd give would be like uh one called geno pets where it's like i've got a dragon i gotta level up the dragon there's a habitat there's crystals you you know you have to go in every day and you know and actually play the game and pet your dragon take care of your dragon and you know it's very tamaguchi you know kind of pokemon meets web 3 and uh my own interest, I was like, interesting, that gaming one might actually get more people into fitness from the gaming audience. Uh, and that Switcoin one for folks like us who are already doing 20,000 steps a day, that might just be interesting to turn on. And then there were a whole bunch that were sort of in between. Uh, so step in was one of them. And what I liked about it was uh, their game logic, their what they call um, tokenomics was very straightforward. So um, one thing I love about it is they actually share all of the algorithms of, of the game before they even publish it. So you can very quickly look at it and say, ah, oh, I get it. And the basics of step in was, um, there are many different levels of NFT shoes. And if you have an NFT shoe, you would earn a token, uh, and that token, you could reinvest back in the game. You could make your shoe better. You could add some, some extras, but the token is also free to sell on the open market, um, and this is what sort of what makes it tricky is, well, now there's an open market that decides how much the token is worth. So you can imagine, like, I'll put us in two different scenarios. Finn gets, Finn gets his shoe. He's excited about it, but he's like, no way, I'm putting money into this game. I'm just gonna, you know, do my steps and however much I make. And then Scott's like, you know what? I would do anything for a level 30 shoe. I'm going to go buy the token on the open market rather than run for the next five weeks so that I can immediately get this high level shoe and really start getting into the next level of this game. That ends up determining the price of that token. And so what happened in the history of In was there was a mad rush um, when it first came out. I, they were very surprised at how fast uh, Asia Pacific in particular users really jumped into it. And it drove the price of the token up to a level where um, it was $1,000 to get into the game. and But you'd make, you know, $20 a day, $100 a day. But that was only because this growth was happening in one part of the industry. Uh, as we've learned from Axie Infinity, which was one of the original gaming companies, like as long as the growth is there, the price of the tokens well supported. The moment the growth drops off or someone decides they don't want to be in there manipulating the market, the token will come down to a very reasonable level. And so in that, we watch some people get in early and make a lot of money. We watch some people jump in and then it collapsed and uh, they feel like they lost a lot of money. Um, but in the end, it's because there's just an open market dynamic. You know, Stephen makes money when I sell shoes to you or you sell shoes to me. It's like a percentage on the market price. Um, and so as long as there's activity in the game and the game is still fun and interesting, they can, they can thrive as a business. Uh, so they're trying to introduce you know, marathon modes and other fun ways to you know, stay active and, and compete and different features that you can turn on. Um, and I think much like any game, if you enjoy it and you really get into the logic and tokenomics of it, um, it's, it's, uh, it's quite fun. Uh, but if it ends up, it's just, and it's now become so much work, you don't enjoy your run anymore. It may, it may not be for you. Uh, But yeah, so it's uh, now there are hundreds of employees um, based out of Australia, Um, still growing, still doing very well. And um, yeah, I think it's probably one of the more successful, not only move to earn projects, but they've probably single handedly brought more people into Web3 than any project I've ever seen. So. It's a wow. stretch to get into, like, I'm going to buy an NFT that looks like an ape. You know, that's, you've got to be a special kind of person to understand that. <laughs> but this idea of um, I'm going to you know, buy an NFT that's a shoe and level it up in this game, it's, it's much more approachable. And they've built a lot of the complexity that you normally have to navigate in Web3 right into the game. It's very easy to get started. Um, so for me, that's what I got interested in was like, hmm, I've got a new technology that is onboarding people, uh, into the technology faster than anyone else. And they're doing it by having people move. Like to me, that was such a powerful combination. Uh, so, so yeah, so I continue to advise them, but at this point they're, they're well on their way.
0: (laughs) I'm just trying to make some, some connections in my head here. Uh, 13, 14, 15 years ago, I played games like Starcraft and world of Warcraft and, what was interesting about those communities is the game developers, the game creators, they were taking basically all of the value that was created on the platform. And if I'm understanding this correctly, one of the novelties of a platform like Stepin is um, the users are not only creating value on the platform, but that they're taking a much larger, if not entire percentage of that same value created on the platform for themselves. Is that somewhat correct?
1: that's correct it's the the best way to think about it is um the ownership of the assets in the game are very clearly in the hands of the players uh so you determine what you want to sell it at uh you know what you want to buy it at um there are ways that you can create value in those assets Uh, but in the end it's really a marketplace where players just exchange with each other um Whereas before, you know, in World of Warcraft and others, it was actually the game publisher who comes up with those assets that you buy. Uh, I always think of you know, Farmville, you know, by Zynga. Yes. It's like, and even Roblox to a certain degree now. It's like, well, you you pay to buy assets in the game, but you can't ever sell them really. I mean, you can't ever freely distribute them, and in the end, you don't really own them either. <laughs> like in the end, Roblox really owns all of it. If it shuts down, that's what that's what happens. Um, but you know, in, the, in the case of Stepin, like you, you find that you can take the assets out of the game. You can put them mm-hmm. on trading platforms like, uh, like Magic Eden, uh, OpenSea, and others. And so that transferability, along with uh, the ability for any player to create and exchange value, that's the uniqueness of it. And I think it's a pro and a con. I mean, it's, yeah. it's fun if you're in there and you know what you're doing, but it's also like, be careful, be careful what you invest in because uh, you can't control the marketplace. Uh, you have no idea where the prices
0: might go. There's so much more I want to ask you here. I want to be respectful of your time though. Um, <laughs> last, last question. One of the, one of the themes that we love to explore on this show is the athlete sponsor relationship and more specifically just the ways that runners that are committed to the sport, how can they achieve more more security just financially existentially etc and these days in web2 most athletes are building audiences they're earning money via these rented platforms like instagram twitter youtube etc where a lot of their existence is subject to the whims of the algorithm if i'm somebody like courtney DeWalter or uh dylan bowman or anybody that's trying to like really make a living and build community in the sport Do you have any like low hanging fruit examples of how they could be early adopters in our community of this technology to uh, uh, just to exist more stably, I guess?
1: Yeah. Well, that's them. We're in the early innings, if you're asking about web three in particular. Um, So this, this one, I'd say only dabble into it if you're willing to go super high risk, but I I really do appreciate that uh, you included and, and, and all of the, Athletes that um, make that leap to just go into media to start, I think, makes a lot of sense because, uh, on behalf of a brand like Adidas, we love great sports performances, but it's not nearly as addicting as a wonderful story and a wonderful storyteller. Like in <laughs> yeah. the end, that's really what's what great. Comes that's down. great. At- yeah, it is. And it's, you know, like you know, the Timothy Olson is one of our sponsors, uh, sponsored athletes on the Tarek side. And it's just, I'm always in awe of like you know, both sides. Like, yeah, he's going to run the Pacific coast trust insane, you know, but then you watch the storytelling that he can put together behind it. And that's really the power that the brand loves because they, they want everyone to feel like uh, they can stretch themselves and achieve something bigger in their personal lives. So So I know it's tedious and it's also you find the curse of media, which is, you know, if we uh, if you pose a question that's very controversial and just let people argue with each other, you'll get far more traffic than telling a narrative of a story that's true. Uh, And I found this on my blog early on, too. It was, I think, even to this date, the, you know what Scott Jurek thinks about Dean Carnassus. I what saw Jared that.
0: Yes. That, I, I
1: can't unindex that one. Um, and it really wasn't even that much. It was like five words, you know, and I, I I ended up creating click clickbait. I didn't realize it till much later. That's exactly what it was. Um, but yeah, that's the tricky thing is you don't want to rush it. And, uh, and that's hard to do because it sometimes takes a while to, to build up the audience. But um, there are so many platforms out there too, that I, I kind of look at it and say, you know what, just, just keep trying. And it's not a failure. If you end up saying like, I guess this blog thing, isn't working for me, I'm going to try podcasting or, uh, you know, I've watched some stars pop up on YouTube and TikTok. I can't explain it. I can't explain other than they were very passionate about their particular level of content and they were consistent and they just put themselves into it. And, uh, and it's just, it's touching a lot of people in a very authentic way. And I really enjoy that these platforms are out there. They, you know, I hear a lot more voices uh, around trail running and ultra running than I've ever heard before. And some of them are uh, people starting a podcast, but much more because folks like you, Finn and, and Dylan and, and Corrine and others are finding these wonderful stories. I'm not sure how else we we would all hear about them. So, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky one to navigate because we have a traditional way as a brand, of looking at how many do you reach and how many you know impressions or exposures, that sort of the thing. But the truth is, if you're authentic in what it is you're trying to create and in the community that you're building, uh, you will find a connection with a brand for sure.
0: A lot of athletes listen to this show. I think they're searching for answers as they're building their careers. You, you said storytelling over performances. Is that true? Is that really? Is I would that say they're really, equally like, a key variable. Yeah. And then the ones
1: that, uh, that end up sort of becoming the top of the heap are the ones that combine both of those and then just happen to be doing something nobody else has done. Uh, I think that's the, the ultimate trifecta. But you know, let me share an interesting uh, example for you in the early days of blogging. Uh, I didn't have any sponsors. Uh, I was just having a good time. What I had was a lot of frequent flyer miles left over from my day job, uh, which was, was nice to spend on, on getting to uh, the trailheads of various races.
0: 700,000, right? Uh, at the time,
1: it crossed a million at one point. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it ended up there was a bit of regret that I would just travel to a city like Chicago and all I would see is the hotel near the airport, and then I would leave and I'd be like, wait a minute, I know there's wonderful, you know, trails along the lake and places that I could run. Why am I not? So I kind of went back the next year and was like, all right, I'm going to go back to a lot of these cities, I'm going to find communities and, and go run. Um, but you know. How else did we learn about, you know, the right way to tape your toes or the right way to tie your shoes or like we learned it all from each other. I was constantly learning from people on the trail. Um, and at one point somebody handed me a pair of Njinji socks. I had never seen them before, but they said, You have long skinny toes. These would work for you. Um, and I put them on and I kid you not, I haven't had a blister in, you know, probably 15, 16 years, ever since those were handed to me. All I did was talk about that on the blog. I didn't ask them for permission. I just said, I can't believe this product really works for me, but I think it's because of the following. Yeah. And then I got a call from them and, uh, and they were like, we got all this click through on your story. And, uh, I'm like, really, I really don't usually get that much click through on these, but I'm like, I think, you know, your name is kind of cool and Jinji. And the, the picture of the sock is pretty, pretty interesting. Um, and that's where it came from. They were like, can we send you more socks? Would you post more things? And I'm like, well, if it feels right. And they're like, oh, no, no we're not. Don't post a commercial. You know, if it really was a big part of your race day, just mention it. That would be great. Um, and that that's what one thing started in, into another. And then Innovate Shoes came. You like our shoes? You know, we'd love to sponsor you. And then, by the way can we make, can we get you to come to this race? You know, because we really want pictures with this mountain in the background and uh, we'll pay for it. And I was like, Oh, that's, that's interesting. And then I found like, Hmm, I wonder if the hotel I'm staying at would like pictures of my family in the hotel on a blog story where I talk about this town is a Mecca for trail running. And all you have to do is call them up and they'd be like, yes, five nights, easy. Just make sure you show up our new swimming pool. I'm like, that will not be a problem. Um, And it, but it was really just this like concept of like, all right, I don't, I'm not sure how it started, but once this started going, but every time I would ask, why did you say yes? Why did you say it's okay to do just this one time sponsor? And then it became a, a bigger thing. They would just look at the content and they would say, it's you. It's like, you're not trying to pitch anything. You're just telling the story that matters to your audience. And you just happen to fit this in at just the right time. Uh, which was great. So I just encourage all athletes like experiment, try TikTok, try all these things, like see which one connects with the community in a new way. We've got a lot of funny trail runners out there. We've got some that are serious big thinkers and um, there's space for all of it. Uh, You just got to find which one is the right fit.
0: I love the example of the hotel there. We, one of our missions on this show is to encourage more athletes to think about non-endemic sponsorship opportunities, like the mattress companies of the world and just anybody that's not like directly affiliated with running. I think it's a very interesting, uh, uh, rabbit hole to go down once you realize that like the world is your oyster from a, from a sponsorship standpoint. Well, I should Um, say
1: I had one other secret that I should share, which is my wife is a fabulous photographer and, um, she would often pose as my manager, uh, making that call. And it turns out if you just get a friend to do this, it's really helpful, which is to say, I've got a top athlete and a top blogger who's coming in and we're thinking about staying at your hotel. What do you say? And uh, there's something very, I don't know, persuasive when it sounds like someone is representing you.
0: (laughs) I love that. I love that. Um, Well, I've got one last question for you and then one rapid fire. Uh, You've been in the sport for a while now. You've experienced a lot, um, a lot of change. Do you like the direction that our sport is headed in? I'm curious what your thoughts are there. Like, as like, given that you've been in the sport since like the early 2000s, so it's been like 20 years. Like, do you like where we're at now?
1: Um, I, I do personally, but I, much like yourself, I'm an internal optimist. So I, I tend to look at it and say every, every person who tries our sport for the first time, you know, one out of five of them are going to have a passion for life. And, 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 you know, the amount of positivity that that puts out into the world is, is immeasurably large. So yes, if I back up far enough, I go, yeah, that's absolutely right. What I do like is that the growth um, seems to have a lot of variety. So uh, so yes, we have UTMB and Stones and like all kinds, you know, Iron Man taking over and putting these epic events together. But I also see a lot of small races that are coming together that really help you identify with the community. I'm watching FKT and other adventures, you know, still exploding. And now there's mediums that you can use to tell those stories in fun ways. So for me, if the variety of trail running options are expanding and uh, the variability that you can have, am I going in circles every 10 minutes until somebody drops? Or am I literally just gonna try to make it to the top of this mountain first in this amount of time? Or as you were saying in the Wasatch Mountains, like I wonder if I could actually make it from here to here in 24 hours without starving to death. Um, yeah, I love it all. Cause it's really, you're invite, inviting adventure into your life in a very contained way. Um, and what I mean by that is there's a start line and there's a finish line. Like you, you could start the project, you finish the project. In that time, you experience every emotion possible. In that time, it feels very chaotic and uh, and forces you to focus, which is wonderful because so much in life you don't have that type of start and stop. You know, if you have kids, it just goes on forever. You know, if you are in a relationship, if you're an entrepreneur like you are, like it's just you you can't control the rules, and every day you wake up and it's still going. And so, hmm. this is what I love about. Our sport in particular is it's such a unique combination of community and not just outdoors, but deep into the outdoors. You really got to get into the next Valley, go somewhere that you wouldn't normally picnic or anything like that. Sometimes you got to beat the, the sun before it sets. Sometimes you got to go all night and, and see the sun come up in the morning. It's just stretching the horizons of your mind and your spirit uh, in pretty unique ways. So if it takes a big metal to get people to that start line and down that adventure. I'm all for it. You know, I, I know this community will make sure like, Hey, if you're gonna have a thousand people a starting line, you better not destroy this, this ecosystem. Uh, I know those checks and balances will will show up because they wouldn't want to do it either and, and not look authentic. <sighs> so, but that's what I do like. I'm like, you know, there's, if you look at UTMB, I'm like, what choices did they have to fulfill the demand that was clearly there? you could make it a 20,000 person race that would be horrible for the mountains, you know, or you could open up 12 more races. Um, yeah. So I sort of look at it and say the demand is there. Let's give some people some adventures. And if they want that full packaged one, you know, with the finish line and the spotlights, that's great. Um, because I bet the next race they do is not, I bet the next, or maybe the three races they use to build up to that will be, I really got to know this community. Uh, I just ran one in Vienna. It was like a, 45 K and I turned out 48 K cause I took a wrong turn. Um, but in the end I was like, these 80 people all know each other. They're all just putting on races for each other. Ah, oh, this feels like the old days, <laughs> the old days of, the, of California. Like I just found another trail and I got a permit. We're going to put on a race. Um, and, uh, I think as long as that variability is there, it's net very positive for the world.
0: Oh, so well said. I know and especially with like the Robin conversation, we talked about uh, the real threat that tech can pose to our sense of initiative and like, do we become lazy with the convenience of social media? But uh, I think as you just described there, like our community is living evidence that people want to do hard things. They want to go on vision quests. They want to engage in these rites of passage. And uh, I have something to think about now for the rest of the day. This is awesome. Um, The last question I always ask guests, if you could put a message on a billboard for all to see, what would it say and why? Uh, it would probably say
1: live life to have good stories. Um, That's a motto I've had in my life that's worked out really well for me. But usually it's the thing that gets me to say, I should try. I should try blogging. I should try podcasting. I should try the drone. I should try. Um, What I love about living, live life to have good stories is, as I mentioned previously, it's invite adventure into a part of your life because if you invite it into one part of your life you become far more adventurous in every part of your life and uh, so it's the reason my spouse who does not do trail running really likes it when i sign up for ultra races is she's just like when you get in the training when you start getting focused on that event like you don't realize it but you're so present in every other part of your life you're a better father you're a better uh husband you're a better friend uh you're better at work it doesn't seem to bother you quite as much you know you you're really smiling all of the time and i'm like yeah because i've got the there's a purpose in my life as this this piece comes forward and but i always think about it i'm like i just want to be a good story (laughs) like that i'll share with everybody who is there at the start line or the finish line um that i'll tell other people about you absolutely should go to this island and run this crazy race or or someday I'm sure to look back on life and say, you know, did I live it to its fullest? Well, I'm sure you know the belt buckle collection will be a start to be like, well, yeah, you know, let's, let's let's start there. Like, what did you do that day? Like, oh my gosh, I ran a hundred miles in the, the ridiculous heat, you know, all the way over to Auburn. Like, that's fantastic. Or through Wasatch, which I absolutely love. I still dream of Wasatch. And uh, and yeah, so
0: <laughs> so that cool. would be that would be my motto: live life to have good stories. Right on. Well, we'll make sure to link to your blog. All those articles I mentioned we will link to Runtastic. Um, but are there any uh, calls to action that you have for the listeners related to what you're doing at Adidas or anything else?
1: Yeah, I would say just experiment. This um, We're in just a wonderful state of where technology can be helpful in motivating you in a new way. I've never seen more types of yoga content, meditation content, training content, Sleep trackers, exercise trackers, um, and they're all really easy to just try. Um, and so, I would say if you find yourself in a slump, if you find yourself in a tough spot, it's not hard to you know sign up for a different kind of race or try a new piece of technology, see if it spurs you on for a little bit. Um, but again, just um, don't find yourself on your heels thinking I'm done or I'm exhausted from the sport. There's so many options that you can try something a little twist. Maybe that's a Web3 game. Maybe that's a new wearable. Uh, maybe it's just a new format. Um, but yeah, stay engaged, uh, stay in, uh, be part of the sport, encourage others to be a part of it. And uh, I think you'll see that life is just that much better.